Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Our first service has been crazy lately. Second service is more of the mellow crowd. Who's excited to be here today? Who's excited? Who came expecting a word from God? Anyone? All right, there we go. Now we're ready. So today is Crazy Sweater Sunday. I've never owned a crazy sweater, but my wife found one that went with our sermon series that said, Get Lit. Now, <laughs> Get Lit means different things to different generations. To the younger generation, Get Lit means getting excited. To the older generation, we'll leave it alone. Okay? So, with that, we are talking about faith. And we have talked about childlike faith. We have talked about doubting faith. But today, we're going to talk about another form of faith that I believe that we never give the church permission to talk about. It's called crazy faith. Crazy faith. So, I want to give you the definition of crazy. This is what crazy means. And some of you may say, like, wow, Rob just defined himself. Not mentally sound, marked by thought or action that lacks reason. Insane, impractical, erratic, being out of the ordinary, unusual. Now, you ask me, why did I play that song in the very beginning? The name of the song is what? Crazy by Gnarls Barkley, and most people think of it as CeeLo. But there's a line in that song that says this. And when I hear this line in the song, I think about people all throughout Scripture. It says, my heroes had the heart to lose their lives out on the limb. And all I remember is thinking, I want to be like them. Think about that. My heroes had the heart to lose their lives out on the limb. Not live their lives, lose their lives out on the limb. And all I remember is thinking, I want to be like them. And what I want to do today is I actually want to talk about my favorite characters in the Christmas narrative. Because these are the character, characters that I believe lived out crazy faith. Last week we talked about childlike faith as we looked at Mary and Joseph and, and it really added up to what we had talked about last week. We talked about doubting faith with Zechariah the following week. He, he's thinking like, how can it be? It's impossible. It hasn't happened in the past. How is it going to happen now? But crazy faith is different. Crazy faith is different than childlike faith. Crazy faith is different than doubting faith. And my prayer is that we would be people that, yes, have childlike faith, but I actually believe that in order to ever experience childlike faith, we need to first experience a little crazy faith. And here's my prayer. This Christmas season, that you would get lit, that you would reignite your faith as you continue to know Christ or maybe today for the first time you choose to follow Christ. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I invite you to allow us to experience 
in your presence, through your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, something shift in our hearts today. I give you permission to move in someone's heart that maybe you haven't moved in some time or maybe that you would move for the first time in someone's heart. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, this is very interesting. I like to look at this passage as being way off course. Now, to the people that we are going to look at, they're going in the right direction. But when you look at Bethlehem and what was going on with Bethlehem, when these individuals arrived, all they could think about is, wow, these individuals are way off course. Now think about that. When you hear about people doing crazy things, you're like, they're out of their mind. What are they doing? They pack their car. They're driving across the country. Where are they going? They don't know where they're headed, but when you really talk to them, deep down they know exactly where they're going to end up. Amen? And so here you see that there is a group of people, and oftentimes we have this completely incorrect. We think about three men traveling on three camels, having three different chests, one for three different gifts. That was not the scene at all. Matter of fact, it is so much different. This is what it was. There was a caravan of about two to 300 individuals. They were from Persia area, and they were magi. Magi were kingly royal individuals. And there would have been two to 300 people, and out of those two or 300 people, they say that there was probably more than 100 of them that were soldiers, warriors, that were protecting them. And they had traveled a long way with one purpose, that these magi would find a certain individual. So who were the magi? They were people of royal stature. They were kingly, but yet they also played this religious priestly role. Highly, highly educated. And so when you look at the Magi, you, you see that these were individuals that, that had a goal, had a purpose, had a plan. The Magi were very unique in that they not only studied one form of education, but they looked at education in all different forms. They studied all different religions, including the Old Testament, and I'm going to prove that to you. But they were also astrologers. You see, when we think about astrology, we think about horoscopes and, and some form of spirituality. But back then, it was very different. Astrology was a form of science. And so when they studied the stars and when they studied ancient scriptures, whether it be the Old Testament or something else, they kind of tried to connect the dots. 
These were individuals who had worshipped many different gods, not just a god, but when they looked at the heavens as they worshipped those stars, I definitely believe that they're thinking there must have been a god bigger than all of these gods that something is pointing us to. Something is nudging us forward. And so these magi were very unique individuals. We think about the word magi and we think about it the first time that we see them is in Matthew chapter 2. Matter of fact, we see the word magi throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, Daniel dealt with a magi in his role. We see in Acts two different situations where magi were present. Simon the sorcerer and Elymas in, in Acts chapter 6, these were magi. They were royal priests that were seeking more, seeking more knowledge. But the problem was they were seeking it in a very demonic component. You see, we don't like that word demonic, do we? But yet there's a real reality to it. That they would worship other gods, hoping that each god would build upon itself, working with one another, so that they can get the answers to what those gods present. The problem is, that's not how it works. But what I love about these individuals was that there was a deep drive in them to want to know spiritual truth. Let me ask you this. How many people in your life do you know that are seeking spiritual truths? Let me ask you. Are you actually seeking spiritual truths? Or do you just seek answers to kind of affirm what you already believe? You see, these magi had a holy nudge. They had to go on a journey to find this one answer to what all of their hearts were longing to hear. Let's continue. It says here in verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this and was, and was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. You see, crazy faith has crazy reasoning. And it's interesting because I believe that when these magi showed up and they said, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews, Herod's thinking, that's me. That's the title the Jewish people gave to Herod. Did you know that historically? That Herod was called the king of the Jews. And if you were king of the Jews, you were the king of kings. And so Herod's thinking like, wait, you didn't come to see me? Who did you come to see then? They said that there's one that's been born. One. Not a bunch of ones, but the 
one. Now, let's bring it back to Scripture. Because here's what we have to realize. You can hear a message like this and be like, wow, crazy faith. I can do whatever holy nudge I have. I can act. I can behave. I can make really dumb choices because in me, what have I done? I've justified them. But when you see crazy faith, you see people who are seeking after crazy holiness, crazy God, something that is so much deeper that you could ever, that you could never, ever conceive in yourself. And so what was the crazy reasoning? As they studied the heavens, as they studied all the different forms of scripture, and yet as they studied the Old Testament, there was something that I believe that stood out to them more than any other readings that they've ever, ever read more than any holy nudge that they had from the heavens. Because remember this, in Psalms 46 it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so yes, when you go to the Grand Canyon, you say, wow, there must be a God. Let's say you see something beautiful, God's creation, or a child being born. And you're thinking, wow, this child really points to, to a creator, a loving God. Or what about that one time when, when you were in sixth grade? I remember being in sixth grade, and we, I saw my first eclipse, right? The first eclipse. I remember thinking, like, wow, something bigger than the universe had to have created that. You see, that's called general revelation. And so, yes, they had the form of general revelation that, that would point them to God, but they're saying, there has to be something more. That's way too confusing. You see, God is not a confusing God. God speaks truth in very deep and simple forms. And so as they studied the Old Testament, I believe that there are two passages that, that jumped out to them. Because they repeated one of them, but there were two. Numbers 24, 17 and Micah 5, 2. Look at what it says in, in Numbers 24, 17. And think about what directed them to Bethlehem. I see him, but I'm not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheph. You see, what God does is he speaks both figuratively and literally. And as good spiritual individuals, I believe that the Magi saw both the spiritual and the figurative and the, bless you, spiritual and figurative language. Wait a second. It's just not a group of people, but, but something's going to happen in the heavens. But then in Micah chapter 5, 2, it says this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. They're thinking, okay, there's going to be a tangible sign and we're going to trust that star. That's crazy. So honey, when are you coming back? Well, in a couple of years. What are you going to do? We're going to follow that star. Do you want to come? No, thank you. Right? We're going to trust that physical sign. But remember, they were from the Middle East, Persia, over a two-year journey to get from the Persia area to Bethlehem. 
And all they're thinking is, there's a town that's called Bethlehem. There's a place called Bethlehem. And we don't know where it is, but that star is going to lead us there. And how true their crazy faith was. That that star led them and led them and led them and led them. And then all of a sudden when they came to Bethlehem, it stopped. It stopped. Their reasoning, their crazy reasoning was to see the one. Go back and read Matthew chapter 2. We've come to see the one. Herod, you are not the one. Herod actually knew he was not the one, and we're going to talk about that next week. But there is the one who is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, that they chose to go on this spiritual journey to seek after no matter what the cost or the timing was. Let's look at verse 9 through 10. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, this is what crazy faith does. Crazy faith accomplishes crazy goals. Did you hear what I said? Crazy faith accomplishes crazy goals. When we planted the plant, we were told by many people, good luck. Let's see if this thing works. I actually had a minister in the area say, hey, hopefully this works, but just want to let you know, let's just see how this thing plays out. I'm like, thanks a lot. That was a really good lunch. Thank you for bringing me to Moe's. But it was one of those things that I'll never forget that meal. I'll never forget that meal. It was kind of like a, a good game. Hopefully you get there, right? But I know, I know in my heart that hell or high water, God was going to show up. I knew, I knew that. And I knew at year three, and I knew at year five, and I knew at year seven that I have to hold on to what God has called me to do. And I actually said this to Sue. It was one night. One of my closest friends was part of our church plant team. And he and his wife said, hey, we're out. And it was 2 a.m. in the morning. And I was sitting in my bed and I was shaking. She said, are you okay? I said, I'm not. I said, you're, either two things are going to happen. Either God's going to show up or you're going to find me in a loony bloom. Because I'm either crazy or God has spoken so clear to me that I have to do whatever it takes to see this come to fruition. I'm serious. And I remember sitting there at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was a Sunday night, 2 o'clock. And I was like this. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm either crazy or you are so real and I'm going to hold on to you until this thing comes to fruition. Think about Jake Burton Carpenter, the guy who invented the snowboard. I mean, here's a guy that said, hey, I want to learn to surf on snow. Look what he did. He revolutionized the ski season. Think about Steve Jobs, huh? That dude was really crazy. 
Everyone take out your phones. I bet you the majority of people here have bought into his craziness. Because I know I have. But when you look at people that have done some crazy, crazy things, you're like, is this going to ever come to fruition? And I really believe that God invites people on crazy, crazy journeys because there's something that he wants to bring us to. You see, when, when you think about the Magi, the goal was not just to show up. The goal was not just to say hello to the baby and make sure that, okay, he's there, let's go. They had a goal, and they had a purpose. And their goal was so big that they somehow convinced 300 people, let's call it two to 300 people, to go on a journey with them. And they were going to go there not just to see the child, but more importantly, to honor the child. You see, postcards do Christmas a disservice. When you read the Old Testament and you see people going before the kings, whether it be King David or King Solomon or any of the kings in Israel, they brought tons of tons of gold, tons and tons of fruit, tons and tons of livestock. And so when these magi were going to go see Jesus, they were going to bring tons of gifts. So much gifts. Why do you think there are two to 300 people? If they were going to do this, they were going to either go big or stay home. And their goal was to honor the king not knowing that they would be the, probably the second people that honored him ever for who he actually was. And so they brought him gifts. Some say they were just kingly gifts, anointing oil, perfumes, and valuables. Yes, that's one side of the coin. But I believe there was a prophetic act that was happening in the gifts that the Magi brought. Yes, first the gold. The best gift, right? Who wants some gold today, right? Right? If we were giving out gold, everyone would be wearing a crazy sweater, right? Gold, gold represents the kingly role Jesus is going to have and Jesus does have today. Frankincense, incense was a sign of his priestly role that he had. That he would be the priest for us first and foremost to lay down his life for us. That we would be the royal priesthood of God now. But then the third one. And the first two I can see Mary and Joseph being like, yes, gold. Yes, frankincense. The stable's going to smell a whole lot better. But then the third one. The myrrh. I can imagine Joseph or Mary's heart kind of fluttering like, no, 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 we don't want that one. Because myrrh is a symbol of the death and suffering that Jesus was going to have to go through. You see, why would God provide all these gifts? Think about this. They didn't go back to the the way that they returned, and we're going to look at that next. They took a whole different route. Because Herod was going to try to slaughter Jesus. And so the angel told Joseph, do not go home. Go to Egypt. Do you know how far Egypt is from Bethlehem? 
Joseph and Mary were going to become refugees in Egypt. That means that Joseph was going to have a very hard time finding a job and making enough money to provide for his family. And yet God provided. Think about that gold. What was that gold for? Mary and Joseph didn't move to Egypt for a year or two years or three years. They were there for a period of time until the Spirit of God once again said, now it's time to go home. God provided. God is Jehovah Jireh. That when God invites you into the crazy, God always provides. And I love how Joseph and Mary were provided for in ways that they could have never provided for themselves. Some of you need to get a little crazy and stop trying to control your finances, but trusting God for what God has best. Because all you do is you mess it up. You mess it up. You're messing things up. And you're thinking, am I going crazy? And God said, yes, You've made yourself crazy. Come follow me in the craziness of who you are as a child of God. You see, crazy faith accomplishes crazy goals. We live way too comfortable as Christians. We seek this form of morality that literally is no different than the world. We are not called to the highest level of morality because morality is only morality in view of the people in which we live amongst. So you are just as holy as the person next to you or maybe a little more. We are called to holiness. Do you hear what I'm saying? You are called to holiness, not being more moral. You are called that All of you is all of God's. And so, yes, that sounds crazy. Everything about Jesus is crazy. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. That's pretty crazy. Lay down your life for another. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the teachings of Jesus are crazy. But they're so crazy that they're so correct. But there's one last movement. It says in verse 12, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Look at that. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. Why? Because God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. You know what crazy faith does? It leads us into a deeper intimacy with God. Think about the Christmas narrative. Joseph, Mary, Zechariah. The angel of God appeared to them in a dream. But now... These people who trusted a holy nudge, trusted a couple passages in Scripture, gets to stand before Jesus, 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Emmanuel, God with them, because that's what they were searching for, God with them, all of a sudden God goes even deeper. He says, you know what? I'm not going to send an angel. I'm going to send myself. And when they were sleeping, God warned them in a dream. The more you step out in faith, the more God reveals himself to you. Do you understand that? The more you step out in faith, whether it be childlike faith or crazy faith, just trusting the holy nudge, God reveals himself more to you. And I love this about this narrative. And why they are my favorite characters is because these were individuals who were once far from God. But they were seeking God. They were seeking God with their whole heart. They wanted to know God. They wanted to know the logos of God. They wanted to know the written Word that points them to God, but they also wanted to know the voice of God, the presence of God, the being of God. And they said, we'll get rid of everything for one thing and one thing alone, to stand in the presence of the king. So let me ask you, to what length would you do to stand in the presence of the king? I really... What really saddens my heart is when I see how we as Christians have missed the beauty of God. We as Christians should be the most wisest thinkers, the most creative individuals, the most boldest people in our community. Those who are willing to, to do more and risk more than anyone else. But, but there's, there's something that happens when we become a Christian. We become safe. We become paranoid. And we try to live in this little box called Christianity. When what I read in scripture is that Christianity was the most dangerous, safe part of a person's life. Do you hear what I'm saying? The most dangerous, safe part of a person's life. You see, when we follow Jesus, he should be taking us on an adventure. Not an adventure to, call, to cause us to be cozy and comfortable, but an adventure to know him and make him known. So crazy faith. I am so thankful that yes, to some I seem erratic. Yes, to some I seem unusual. But it's been those nudges, those nudges that have taken me to the deeper places with God. Are you stepping out in faith in such a way that, that at times you're just trusting a nudge, but you know it's him? because it's aligned with scripture. So you can see the fullness of God being played out in your life. Crazy faith. God loves crazy faith. 
Think about Abram. God loved Abram. Think about David. God loved David. Think about Esther. God loved Esther. God was just like, man, you kids make me smile. Right? When my kids step out and do something out of their comfort zone, you know what I do as a parent? I smile. I tell my staff all the time, go fail big. Fail big. Because failing big gives you the opportunity to experience the fullness of what God has for you. And yet we are never given permission to just step out and do whatever God calls us to do. But God loves crazy faith. God loves when Daniel stood up to, to, to the king and he went into the lion's den. He said, great, your crazy faith made those lions into your puppies. Think about that. God loves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're like, hey, whether we live or die, we forget that part of the scripture. When Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, they said, whether we live or die, yet what are we holding on to here on this earth? There's nothing worth saving. And yet, when the king looked into the fiery furnace, there were four. And it says, and there's one that looked like the Son of Man. Who's that one who looks like the Son of Man? Wow, Jesus emerges in the Old Testament. Think about that. I love watching the Magi who were once far from God. Not only knew God, but more importantly, God always knew them. Crazy faith. This is what crazy faith is. First, it's not about blindly following emotions or whims. Let's get that out of the, out of the, out of the equations. Because as much as we say that crazy faith is about following emotions and whims, that's not it at all. What did the Magi do? The Magi were strategic. They did their homework. They studied. And they stepped into what they were being led to do in view of how God was leading them in the way that God was leading them. Two, crazy faith allows individuals to be unafraid of getting lost or missing out. Crazy faith allows individuals to be unafraid of getting lost or missing out. When the Magi went on this journey, they weren't thinking, hey, honey, I'll be back in three years. I'll be back in two years. They said, no, we are going to go until we find the one. Too many of us are afraid of missing out. Too many of us are afraid of, of getting lost. Crazy faith has such a burden that I have to accomplish whatever God has called me to. Three, crazy faith creates divine encounters that deepens intimacy with God. The more you step out, the more you give yourself permission to see that God is always there. 
Let me say that again. The more that you step out, the more you give yourself permission to see that God is always there. I love how God showed up to these magi different than he did anyone else. Crazy faith opens the doors for others to experience God. Think about the shepherds. The shepherds, they go to to see Jesus, and then they run around the town. Hey, he's here! Hey, he's here! It's the middle of the night. They all just thought the shepherds were drunk, and so they didn't listen. But the magi, even Herod knew something was going on. And magi, when the magi showed back up in their hometown, we saw him. We saw Emmanuel, who was God literally with us. Really? Tell us about him. And I bet you they all went back to the Old Testament and said, this is who he is. You see, crazy faith opens the door so others get to experience God as well. Have you ever had someone say, wow, I see something different in you. Why did you do that? Why do you do that? Why did you give, why did you change jobs? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And God is saying, hey, this is your opportunity. Share, invite, tell, proclaim. But crazy faith is also this. It's part of humanity's design. God has wired us this way. Whether we think so or not, God has wired us to have crazy faith. Because it wasn't the Holy Spirit that was living in the Magi. It was a need, a longing for more. And what crazy faith does, it leads us to the place that we get to experience the power and the presence of Jesus and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so then we can begin to live out our childlike faith. Then we can live out our radical faith. Crazy faith is part of your human design. Jesus is saying this, get lit. I'm going to invite you to step into some things this year that others are going to think is crazy. But it's the only decision that you can make to experience the fullness of life that I have for you. Plant family, we are already living in a crazy world. It's time for the world to really see how sane our faith actually is as we step out in crazy faith. It's time. I've said this for so long. Revival is coming. The question, are you positioning yourself for revival? Or are you going to miss out on what God has for whatever reason you've decided? I believe God has caused us and called us to have crazy faith like that of the Magi. You know why? 
Because that's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. The God that will run across the universe for us. We don't find God. God searches for us. That's theology. We don't find God. God finds us. And he will go to hell and high waters to reveal himself to you. Questions. Are you open to it? And are you responding to it? Amen. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.